Hello, and welcome to Harder Than It Looks, Parking Uncovered, a podcast to facilitate connections and illuminate real solutions to common problems within the parking and mobility industry. I'm Brian Wolf, President and CEO of Parker Technology, and I'll be your host as we speak with parking professionals from across the industry at all levels to uncover tips, tricks, and best practices to manage what we all know is harder than it looks parking a car. On the show today is Ethan Glass, the co-founder and CEO of a company called Acra. Ethan Glass is the CEO and co-founder of the parking industry's first omni-channel management platform. So Ethan has managed to pack 20 years of parking experience into his relatively short six-year history as a parking professional. What I love about Ethan's background is that he's he parked cars before he built software, and we'll get into that in a lot more depth later. And then in his short six years of parking, he's already taken a leadership role in the industry today as the chair of the Young Leader Network for the National Parking Association. So on the show today, we're going to talk about how his early parking experience shaped the company he now runs today, what it takes to raise capital in general and in the parking industry specifically, and then his approach to building a world-class team amongst a lot of other things. Ethan, welcome to Harder Than It Looks. Thank you for having me. I am a big fan of podcasts and even bigger fan of Parker Technology, and so I appreciate you having me on. We are uh, big fans of Acra as well and of you, and that's only one of the million reasons that you're here with us today. So what I like to do, so, by way of to get us rolling here is rather than just asking you how you got into parking, I'd like to hand you the mic and let you go back as far as you want to go and, and tell us how you got from there to here, because inevitably it's going to end up with how you got into parking. But we also get to hear a little bit more about your personal story, which helps us get to know you a little bit better. So hand you the mic and uh, tell us your story. Sounds good. Going back, I grew up in the North Shore of Chicago in a family business selling office supplies and school supplies. So it started as a pencil company. My father and his brothers turned into a larger office and school supply sales and marketing agency. And so I was very fortunate from young ages to be exposed to the office environment. They were taking me to trade shows and having me sell non-woven polypropylene fabrics and tables and chairs and staplers and you name it. Growing the family business, of course, teaches you how to build relationships and really how to grow a small business into something larger and to maintain existing business and continue to grow that. And so when I got into high school, I was really fascinated with film and media, you know, particularly around design. And so at the time, my family's company was helping transition from the analog catalog days of selling everything through magazines to selling on Amazon and the different online sellers. And so I was very fortunate that I could help them build up that digital marketing agency as part of their business. And in doing so, found a big passion in film and media, started making some films as part of my high school projects as well. And then ultimately was recruited to play soccer in college, which brought me out to Los Angeles which also was the media capital of the world. So it felt like a great reason to come out here. While in Los Angeles, 
I was at Occidental College and on the soccer team, I joined the entrepreneurship program at the school, thanks to a couple of my soccer teammates. And my junior year was running the program and worked with one of my teammates, Nate Dunning, who was my co-founder, and said, hey, let's go find a problem to solve. The problem that we looked at was around the LA Coliseum. They have a pretty notorious parking situation where you have 3,000 spaces or so for the venue to sell. And the rest of the occupancy comes from nearby homes that have very entrepreneurially turned their backyards into parking lots and then also surface lots nearby. And so at first we tried building a marketplace model and we were looking to go and around the lines of what spot heroin park was it created, but quickly realized that we could not compete with companies like that. The marketing they've built up and the teams were far too great for us to try and overcome with our very limited capital that we'd saved up from freelancing. And we tried to figure out what the problems were and how to solve them. Ultimately, it led me to finding an apartment, the sublease over the summer of 2019, right after I graduated from college. And it was nearby Coliseum, 150 bucks or so a month. And right walking distance. Uh, well, $150 a month in Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, okay. So, go ahead. yeah. Go ahead. Tell us. Maybe you'll get into that part of the story, but yikes. Yeah. With the living conditions, it made sense when I showed up why it was that cheap. Uh, putting a futon on the ground and a lot of cockroaches running around and mold growing out of the wall, holes in the wall as well. A bunch of roommates. And the 150 started to add up. But again, it made it very cheap to live there. And I spent almost all my time outside parking cars anyway, that all I was there was to sleep and store some cash while we were doing our operation, which I'll share more about later. The summer of 2019, they had the LAFC soccer team playing at now what's called BMO Stadium and they had concerts going. So rather than trying to assume we knew what the problems were and how to join this parking industry, ultimately just said, let's go volunteer as valets and parking attendants. Let's help these homeowners and surface lot operators sell parking. And if we do it for free, then we hope that they'll let us in and we'll earn their trust over time and uncover some of the problems. Of course, if we get some free labor from some individuals who are fine running 15 miles every game day to track down cars and bring them into driveways, that's a pretty good deal for them. We have one homeowner in particular, Anthony, who was absolutely incredible and shows the ropes, shows how to valley the cars to fit 18 cars into his backyard, essentially. And this thing behind me right here is a, kind of the first dollar we made with him doing that through a big tailgate yes. that I can speak to another time or maybe on the podcast, depending if we have time for that. But ultimately, the goal is learn from the ground level. And when we're doing so, one of the most pressing pieces that we saw in the marketplace was every single game day was the same. We'd go outside to sell parking with cardboard signs. And we'd start maybe at $50. But the next door neighbor would have 45 We'd go get the Sharpie, cross it out, and go to 40 And we'd keep going down, race to zero, until, of course, cars started parking. And as the supply depletes, you can increase your pricing a little bit. But it was all about who can grab the car. And there was this whole ecosystem. 
system that was built around the LA Coliseum that had been there for many years. And we were just starting to see some of the inefficiencies that were there, but people were making some good cash. Ultimately, I started asking questions of what if we create partnerships on the block level or street level and rather than us all fighting over pricing, if we all set a certain price, then we'll create partnerships to bring cars in. They won't keep circling the block looking for cheaper parking and we can get them to one street at a time. There's a lot of perfect competition in that market and reasons that it was unable to, for lack of better words, collude on pricing. And so we, what we ended up doing was we said, what if we start on an event by event basis, leasing out all the parking nearby? We'd already learned how to value some of these cars and park them and transact on a credit card basis with square readers, which was already an upgrade from cash. And of course, we said to the homeowners, if we pay you $30 for a space, anything that we make on top of that, we keep, and then it's a win. If we don't make anything on top of that, you still win. We'll be dead in the water pretty quickly. Yeah. Classic lease. Yep, exactly. And so we had full incentive to work our tails off to make it happen. And no. in doing so, learned how hard it is to be a parking operator. <laughs> Something that is harder than it yeah. looks. <laughs> so we indeed. Yeah. So we ended up over the 2019 season. The Rams were still playing there before they moved to SoFi Stadium. And so mm. it was a great time to park cars. We ended up hitting around like 800 spaces across 20 plus properties, a mixture of homes and surface lots. And it was outstanding south of the Coliseum, west of the Coliseum, east of the Coliseum, anything that was non-venue parking, we were touching. And we'd have our, the company was called Park Place at the time. We had all the Park Place signs out. We brought in a bunch of parking attendants and valets to come help park the cars. But then we started noticing a lot of slippage issues because if you get a lot of people that you don't know to be transacting on site and you're telling them to take credit card transactions, when you go count the cars afterwards, you tend to see that there are more cars parked than you see money in the bank, especially at the prices you were setting. Uh -huh. and, and yeah. Go ahead. My good friend, Scott Gould, used to call those people silent partners. You had silent partners in the business. A really nice way to put that. Yes. So yeah, we had plenty of silent partners who mm -hmm. didn't act as much as partners as we'd hoped. And so mm -hmm. what we ended up doing was we said, this is a huge risk to our business. If we want to keep growing this, especially without us on site and running around the Coliseum and Nate would even get like these bird scooters to try and get there faster because we could run a pretty fast mile pace, but I uh, couldn't prolong that too long after we graduated and stopped playing soccer. So we started saying there are these companies like Spot Hero and Parkways and Park Mobile and all the other different payment aggregators in the space. If we can pre-reserve the space for $100 or buying it for $30, it's a great arbitrage. And then now we just yeah. need the attendants and valets to bring the cars in, validate the reservations and park the cars, and the transaction would be handled beforehand. That brilliant. Thank you. I cannot take full credit for that. That was Nate, Leo, myself, Alex, everyone early on who was 
just trying to figure out how to make it work. And when we started doing that, we got to a place where we realized a different problem. None of the technologies talk to one another, mm. which is a problem when you have, let's say, 50 spaces in a service lot and you have five different payment channels going. You get caught in the position of, do we give each channel 10 spaces or do we over allocate and then risk overselling the parking? Which, of course, we tried both. And when we under allocated, we'd have channel A sell 10 spaces out of 10 but channel B sell two spaces out of 10. And now we're chasing a delta of eight consistently. And do we increase or decrease? And the channels don't allow for day of inventory changes all the time. So it's a whole mess there. And then when you over allocate and when you say, let's, let's give everyone 20 spaces. So we're allocating a hundred out of 50. Now you have 75 cars showing up. So we're running the surface lot and say, congratulations. We're upgrading you to this home over here. Easy out parking. And simultaneously slipping the homeowner cash, saying, park them on your grass and wherever it takes to make this happen. Yeah. Which, of yeah. course, is not a scalable process. And that's just inventory distribution. Rate management, of course, we want to take advantage of surges in demand. And as inventory was decreased, we want to increase price. But that's a little bit hard to do in the online space. Offline in the field, we were doing it with walkie-talkies, which also wasn't the best way to do it. But in the online space, we'd have to call our account reps. So we're trying to log into all these different channels and these gateways and train different people on the different portals. And it was a complete mess as an organization. Yeah. That yeah, was just really hard to do. Really hard to do. And it's the payment channels are fantastic bringing in drivers and customers and marking the spaces. And so we wanted them to keep selling for those reasons because if we weren't selling them, someone else might be. And it's a secondary marketplace for all intents and purposes. However, the supply side of it was just so difficult to manage. And at the time, we thought, we're just young, dumb, naive parking operators. We have no idea what we're doing. But we'll just keep hustling to see what works. And we started building some small technologies in place and automations to even do something as simple as Instead of downloading all the CSVs from each channel to see what we sold at three in the morning and to try and reconcile, which of course all the, the data standards across different technologies is different. So now we're trying to normalize this all in Excel and figure out even what our gross sales numbers were. We started building some ways to aggregate that data together to have one place to look at it. And we were looking at ways to start scaling that operation so that as we wanted to grow into more venues as that kind of small event parking operator, we could do so. Then COVID hit. Ah, uh, COVID. Yep. So like any good story these days, COVID transformed our business. And, <laughs> but ultimately it was really transformational for us for a few reasons. The first being it allowed us to take a step back and out of the minutia of what we were working on to look at our positioning in the larger market. We figured out something that sort of worked for us, but we were just scratching the surface. And it was a good time for us to reflect and say, okay, what are the trends in this industry? And so we actually built a bot on LinkedIn, which I have to be careful to say, because my housemate works at LinkedIn, so they don't really love bots in their system. But we built oh. a bot on LinkedIn 
and reached out to about 3,000 people in parking. It was just anyone that we could get in touch with to ask what problems did they have, what were the technicians going forward, and how could we help if we could help. And ultimately, that customer discovery was the best thing we could have done for our business because the four of us or so on the team at the time would spent a lot of hours building relationships with folks in the industry, earning their trust. And the most ubiquitous response we got about the problems that they were experiencing was around the fragmentation. And mm -hmm. it was something that we had barely scratched the surface of with the reservation channels and doing our small operation in that microclimate. However, this was a larger problem for operators and asset dealers across the country. So we ultimately started talking to them about, hey, can you build this technology and integrate that over here? And why can't you do this and that? And a lot of the operators got back to us and said, we're well, parking companies. We don't have the resources or personnel to build and maintain all those integrations consistently. It's not core to our business. We'd rather spend our resources elsewhere on core technology to what we're doing. The third-party reservation space is an additive part of what we do. It's not a core piece of what we do. And they go, but if you guys have that, we would license it from you. So after we heard that a few times, and we had incredible mentors like Brett Harwood, who I know was an early guest in the podcast, and uh, people like Todd yes. Tucker as well, they started showing us the ropes of there is an opportunity to build this as a B2B software for the parking industry and license this to parking operators and asset owners to solve the same problem that we were just encountering on a small level. And early on, companies like Wally Park and Inner Park were so instrumental in showing us other areas in the business, other verticals like off-airport parking and downtown commercial parking in CBD-focused locations and how those differentiate from event parking. And so as we continue to learn from all these operators early on, that really took us under their wing. We started building out an MVP of the software. And by October of 2020, had our first version of it, which was very much hacked together. And we had our design partners from the operators and started growing the business. And we started with a few locations, of course, and one of them being Brett's Pie Alley Garage, which we still work at today. And Doug Sickler there has helped us in so many ways, which I owe him thanks for. And as we started growing the company in 2021, we got also in their Long Beach Accelerator. And the Long Beach Accelerator was very transformative. We met one of our mentors there and board member, Sue Malone, and they helped us take what we were doing as a business model, apply it to a larger landscape and look at growth strategies. And as we started doing that, fortunately the company started growing, we started receiving more traction and all of it being around solving this problem of the omni-channel management software for the online reservation systems. I'll pause there and that's the kind of fulcrum of where the business really got going in 2020, yeah. 2021. And let you ask any questions or thoughts. That's it's such a great story. I love that story. I've got so many questions, but my first question go all the way back to the early days when you and Nate decided to go look for a problem. Why in heaven's name 
did you pick parking? I think I know the answer, or I'm gonna I'm gonna put words in your mouth after you give me the answer. But go ahead. Get, what what? Why did you pick parking? Something. Ultimately, when growing up in Chicago, I'd seen a lot of parking issues and Spot Hero, Parkways, SP Plus, Inner Park, all these great parking companies, Park uh, Park Connect, are all out of Chicago, and yeah. I didn't really know that all these existed, but I was a little bit exposed to it. But ultimately, parking had a lot of parallels to my family's business. Yeah. Okay. And that attracted me to the industry because it was very relationship based. A lot of family businesses that have built and ran this industry for many years and where technology has been continually adapted and there was an opportunity to really come in and make a mark. And so all of those components made the parking industry feel like a nice home and Nate and I and, some, and the rest of our team, we, we started becoming real parking nerds and fell in love with this industry. Yeah. Okay. So that's a much better answer to the, to the answer that I was going to give you, because it sounds like you've been, you'd been dabbling in parking, uh, creating your own gates with a car door, which is very clever. And, and so you knew a little bit about parking. What I thought you were going to say is Nate and I looked at each other and said, it's just, it's parking. How hard could it be? We'll just put a car between two white lines, collect cash, and we're done, right? This is the easiest thing in the whole world to do, <laughs> and which, of course, you already know is a lot further from the truth. Very well said. So, and that, those words may or may not come out of our mouths early on. <laughs> come on. How hard could it be? How hard could it be? Uh-huh. A- aside from... I, I did, you talked about Anthony and your challenges to collude. Of course, it wasn't really, I don't think, I don't think the SEC would get you for collusion on a street level, but I could imagine there are probably a few stories about how neighbor one didn't really care for neighbor three. And then you start talking about taking money out of people's pockets. And there was, there, there were, it probably took a minute and a little bit more, a little bit more than a little finesse to get those groups together. Yes. It took a long time, a lot of trust building. And ultimately when you make people more money than they otherwise would make on a daily basis and you save them from spending three hours standing outside in the heat of LA trying to wave down cars, they act, they seem to earn your trust pretty quickly and they like you. And so there are many stories uh, that I probably can't necessarily share on this podcast about the the climate around the area and the walk around South Central. But yeah. I learned a lot there and was very fortunate that they were so welcoming, to be honest, and let us come in and, and try and make a difference and impact. And our job was to make sure that we had the highest of integrity and that we paid them on time and that we sometimes tipped them and paid them more and now that we take care of their properties. Because above anything, the relationships were, were what cemented it all together. Yeah, for sure. So this is what I love about the Accra story. Aside from the fact that you're just a natural relationships guy, right? We can, the, I'm, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And we'll, that's a little foreshadowing for uh, segment two of this. We're going to see that in a second. But I have been known to be quoted, and I actually wrote a column about the fact that you've got 
technology people coming into parking, thinking they're going to eat our lunch. And then it gets a little bit harder to do that because parking is harder than it looks. What I've always loved about Acro Story is that you went the other way. You parked cars first and then you solved your own problem and then you scaled the solution to the problem to the industry. And so all along the way, the software that you were building was informed by your own personal experience. And I can't tell you how powerful the combination of experience, parking experience with cutting edge technology is going to prove to be in the industry. It, it is the secret sauce. And it's just one of the things that I've loved about the story that you tell. I never get tired of hearing the story. Thank you. Andy. So the other story, the, yeah, you're welcome. So the other story that I want you to tell is I want you to tell the story about how you got into the Long Beach Accelerator and how many times you tried to get into an accelerator with a parking company. <laughs> yes. So anyone who's listening to this podcast or who's tried to raise money and tell the story of the not so large TAM that is the parking industry perception wise knows that any VCs and investors don't have the most positive outlook on our industry. And of course, recently we've had some great news of companies raising a lot of cash in the industry and the more attention and focus that's on parking is better for all the companies, our space, but going back to 2019 and 2020 and 2021, we were just getting started. We didn't know much about raising money. We didn't know how to really sell the vision of the company and to ultimately convince an investor to have faith in us that we can return them capital. And when we pivoted the company and we started to get that, those early signs of traction, we ultimately applied to a dozen plus accelerators, all the big ones, and... We saw one in particular, which was brand new, the Long Beach Accelerator, which right in our backyard of LA. And they had a strategic alliance with the city of Long Beach and Sunstone Management and Cal State Long Beach, which we found really fascinating because they could add value beyond just the capital being put in and the accelerator program, but maybe they could give us some access uh, to the municipalities and the parking lots and that ecosystem. And so I remember submitting the application, it must have been like December of 2020, and just on a whim and put a couple of jokes in the application just to try and get their attention. And I'm not the world's funniest person by any means, but uh, you know, in parking, you make a couple of jokes and it works. And um, yeah, parking humor. Yeah, yeah, we all we all we all appreciate it. And so, I do remember as part of the application process that when Nate and I were working out of one of the rooms, we shared an apartment together for a couple of years, and what this we were getting this all started, and we work out of one of our roommates' rooms, who was uh, spending some time in Seattle, and so we're very fortunate and grateful for him doing that. We ultimately got. A, a first round interview at the Long Beach Accelerator. And they started talking to us and let us into the accelerator, which we were a little bit shocked by uh, because we'd gotten turned down so many times by all these other accelerators. Yeah. 
And yep. upon getting in, we were assigned the, our mentor in the program, which was Sue. And upon talking to her, completely understood why we got in. And so we are eternally grateful for Sue because even she talks about that during the application process, they weren't enthralled by a parking company and first-time founders and all the pieces that an investor looks at and says, these aren't de-risking my investment. And we're not looking for, and it's not a moonshot unicorn that we're looking at and all the pieces that go into their criteria. But Sue happened to have a large background in the parking industry and used to own some garages in San Francisco, completely understood the problems that we were looking to solve and the journey that we had gone down and helped get us into the accelerator, coached us throughout it. And even by, by the end of the Long Beach Accelerator, three months later, we even had our first acquisition offer as a company uh, that we uh, had to navigate and learn. And we had people like Brett and Andy Bass as well, who um, really showed us the ropes to uh, talking through that, understanding what it looks like. And now with the resources and the, the backers that we had, especially with Sunstone, who's been a great investor of ours for a while, we learned how to navigate it and ultimately turned down the acquisition offer too, which is a completely different story. But the Long Beach Accelerator yeah. was very transformative for us in so many ways. Yeah, that. so again, the best part of the story is you apply a hundred times because it's parking, it's yawn for the VCs. And then you get somebody who actually knows something about parking. Huh, that sounds familiar. And she said, oh my goodness, they're actually solving a really big problem, which you'd already validated, right? Because you did, you'd done all the research. They, they need to be in this accelerator because they're going to solve a big problem and there's real value. Hats off to you for finding, oh, the blind squirrel finding the nut. That's Sue just happened to be at the right place at the right time and, and perseverance. All right. So that, we could go on all day about your story. Let me pivot just a little bit. And we touched on it just a little bit, but you've raised capital now and you've raised capital with angel investors and you've got some, you've got some pretty large companies that have written checks as well. So what do you think has been the key to your success? How have you been able to get your hands on the people and the capital that you need to get this thing off the ground? Yeah. So ultimately, it, a lot of it started with when we turned down that first acquisition offer. And it was because Brett Harwood came to us and said, why sell? Obviously, as young 20-something-year-olds, he understood that piece of it. But sure. he goes, there's such a large opportunity in what you're doing. You're just scratching the surface. Why not grow? And the answer was, there was a few of us doing this. We were hacking a lot of it together and trying to make it work and work around the clock to service our customers. But to grow, we needed to really build out a team of parking experts and a team of technology experts who've done this before and can take us to the next level. And where it goes, if you need a team, then you need capital. I can help put together some strategic capital from the industry and we can get you guys going. And it was such an easy decision. It's not an easy decision ever, but it was such an, a straightforward decision for us to make because we wanted to keep going. We, were, we felt like we were just unlocking our potential and we had some people in mind of 
who we wanted to bring on board. The team was the most important piece to put together alongside bringing capital. But the capital itself was so crucial to us about who the capital is coming from. And that's where early on people like Brett and Andy and Arlen from Park Connect, now at Flash, people who really understood the industry in so many ways could help us learn and grow and add value beyond the capital. And also, most importantly, create alignment. And that's one of our favorite words to say together, which ultimately is what brought us to as partners and in our strategic alliance is Parker Technology being one of our favorite investors, which I am not just saying because you're on this podcast (laughs) and hosting me, but ultimately Parker and MCR leading this round of investment was so important to us as we had many offers from different funds and different individuals and groups about trying to get involved in Accra. But to us, it was important to select the right partners that would help us grow. And we're just going to throw money in there and, and see what happened. But to help this business as it takes a village to raise a company and get us to our potential. And so we could not be happier. Our funding round was with many strategics that it would be an insult for me to try and go through and name all of them right now. But uh, our vision has always been to create alignment through letting people buy into the company, give ownership stake, and make sure that most importantly, we stay steadfast as Switzerland and as a vendor neutral company. Um, because above anything, that is our, our best positioning in this industry. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So if I'm going back to pro tips, which I'm known to uh, shout out to pro tips, it, you, you built strong relationships early on. The research that you did, I thought it was brilliant because you, you weren't really asking for anything. You weren't trying to sell something at that time. You were just trying to fully understand, which is super powerful for sure. And then you answered my third question or my second question, depending on how you look at it, what, what's on my sheet here, but how you built the team was really about through relationships, through people that you knew that were in parking to a strong, strong principle around either in parking or experts in their field with Garth and his team, those guys being awesome software engineers, but always I know you have a guiding principle around wanting to make sure that you put parking people, you bring parking people into the fold because that's been such a powerful driver for you for success. You might just say a word about that. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. We've brought in people from parking operations. So Chris and Corey and Avery. We've also brought in folks from the technology companies in the industry. Thera, we've brought in Megan. And we brought in Chris Franz in and all offer such a unique perspective on the industry. They all obviously have relationships that they've built in of themselves. But what we found is that by understanding the, the history of parking and such a rich history as it is, and also with what the different companies are doing to grow, as we're looking to be the rising tide that raises all ships, the more alignment we can have and empathy with these different companies, the better. And so everyone we brought on the team has been very strategic. We've had a lot of interest from folks throughout the industry to join our team, which we feel very grateful for. And it's about staying small and mighty to build an organization of people internally in Accra, as well as externally with partners and investors and board members, where we can continue to reach our potential as an organization 
and most importantly, have parking at the core of what we do because we'll continue to learn, we'll continue to ask questions and be problem solvers because we do not by any intent and purpose ever want to tell someone what they should do. We always want to be the ones that come in to help them solve the problem, offer what we can, but we know that parking is so much harder than it looks and that people in the operation space understand their operation far better than anyone else does. And they'll come to us when we can help out, but we, we could also lend a hand from our experience and that just bolsters our position as being good partners and consultative individuals as well. And so it's all about coming to parking and kind of dividing and conquering about who knows what information and how we can grow that together. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So you parked cars first, you built software, then you added people and capital, smart capital from people that parked cars and you added people that had generally parked cars. Obviously you got a few people on the fringes or you've got the software engineers and other folks, but the through thread is it takes experience in parking to build another successful parking company. So my hat is off to you. You're off and running and I'm super excited about the future. Thank you. And you're a big part of it too. So, so I appreciate everything that you've taught me as well as building a business and being a leader and most importantly, growing and scaling. Yeah, we're, we see the world very similarly, so it's good. Which brings me then to, it's not really a lightning round. It's a consistent five or six questions that I ask everyone here. First question is, what if you, if I were to go into your company and utter a phrase, they would instantly know that phrase came, originated at Ethan Glass's desk. What phrase are you known for? That's a good one. So it depends who you're asking the team. Okay. Because I have words that I use, like tremendous, which is in a lot of our marketing material. And Sarah yeah. uses that a lot. <laughs> also, one that is commingled with Everton is we like to say that it's better to have 80% of a watermelon than 100% of a grape. And that stays true in terms of how we pitch using the aggregated demand channels, where they take commissions on the reservations they book for the operators, but also in terms of yeah. what we're doing. We aren't looking for everything. We just want a piece of it. And we want to. If we can create value, we just want to extract a little bit of value. And if someone gives us a dollar and we give them 10 back, we feel like that's a fair trade. And yeah. so that's how we like to see the world. Okay. I'd rather have 80% of a watermelon than 100% of a grape. That is a great way of saying 4% of 10 versus 1% of 100 or whatever it is. I always tend to go to percentages. All right. I'm going to watermelon and grapes if you don't mind next time. Okay. All right. So then the second question is, what's the hardest thing you've ever done in life? Not parking. We'll get to that later. What's the hardest thing you've ever done in, in, in life? I'll talk to building the business, which is parking centered, but also just building a business in of itself. Pivoting a company yeah. was extremely difficult. Removing the pride of building something that worked and trying to reimagine the next stage, asking the right questions to people and admitting that we didn't know the answers. That was really difficult. And it was also at a time period yeah. where it was really difficult to 
keep the team motivated. And we were all not taking any wages at that time. And the world is shut down. And it was a really crucial time to keep the team together, be fully transparent with one another, and which built our relationships so deep and deeper than blood. And ultimately, making that leap of faith that where we saw the direction going towards of the company and the market and the industry was something that we were going to go after. And hindsight's twenty twenty. you look back like, oh, that was an easy decision to make. But in the moment, I remember yeah. all the difficult conversations and trying to make sure people could put food on the table and eat and do everything that's the basic Maslow necessities of life. And that was not an easy time period, but something I'm eternally grateful for. And even when you're doing small pivots on the micro scale throughout building a business, it just makes it all in so much of a success and nice proportional scale because you understand how to go about decision-making and how to be assertive, but also make sure that you always have that ounce of self-doubt self yeah. that allows yeah. you to ask the right questions and learn something that you didn't already know. Yeah, that's good. Pivoting a business is super hard. It's definitely harder than it looks. Okay, so now let's transition to parking. What's the hardest part about your parking job today? So fortunately, I don't have to park cars anymore, which yeah. fortunately and unfortunately, I actually enjoyed it at the time, yep. Terry. And so really? for any of our partners out there, if you ever need an extra attendant to show up on a Sunday afternoon, let me know. But I'm actually more than happy to do it. But ultimately, the hardest part about parking for us right now is we're still with the first company in the space to really accomplish doing what we're doing with this omni-channel management. And it's building this kind of API layer for the parking industry. We work in an industry where for many years, technology has been so siloed. And yeah. because of that, it's made it difficult for the companies to talk with one another. And it's also made it difficult for companies to talk with adjacent industries, even like the hotel space, commercial real estate, et cetera, that are all such a kind of intersection of what parking does. And so we're really laser focused right now on integrating parking in of itself and helping these companies yep. bridge connections. I mean, we learned from a very smart individual and smart company that even the call center space needed access to reservations. And that data can make such an impact on a per lane level when customers on site have issues scanning their QR codes or sometimes are even trying to pull a fast one and cancel the reservation and pretend the gate's just not working to make the call center rep vend it. Yeah. So even bridging that connection with the partner yeah. API, which we are so glad that we built with you guys that as we continue to build that and de-silo the industry in that way, it's it's a harder technology to build than would first meet the eye, especially in an industry that yeah. doesn't really have all the open APIs necessary. However, that's also what makes it so enjoyable because with difficulty comes value. And every day we're learning and growing. For sure. And whenever we encounter a problem, we talk, as a team, we talk about them, we say, great, we just made the company 1% better today and 1% more valuable. So it's hard, but more difficult it is, that's, the better. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Harder it is, the better. I love hard things. I love parking. Parking's hard. All right, so if you had a, a magic wand, 
and you could wave your magic wand and fix one thing in parking today, what would it be? Great question. The supply chain of parking is very unique. There are parking asset dealers, there are consultants, operators, asset managers, parks companies, software companies, then you have enforcement companies. So many different constituents that play into one game. And there's a lot of folks in the industry who have really done a good job of showcasing that there's no one size fits all. And so yes. the one thing that I would love to wave a magic wand and fix is that anyone who is looking at it and saying that it's always a build or uh, partner mentality and or build by a partner. I think it should be everyone in the industry is consistently looking for partnerships. Of course, there are times mm -hmm. to build technology. Of course, and it yep. makes sense anything core to your business. But the more that we all partner together, we can really increase the margins versus everyone fighting over and trying to decrease their margins and zero-sum game and um, go for a lot of trials and uh, really decrease the value of what everyone's putting in. Because the more that companies work together and collaborate, we can unlock a lot of revenue for the whole industry, which will increase the value of all of our companies. And even probably bring in some outside um, organizations from different industries that can work with park industry as a whole. So the one thing I would wave as a magic wand would be just more collaboration. And that's it. Okay. I like it. I Great answer. Thank you. Okay. Thought through. All right. So when you're not parking cars, what do you do for fun? When I'm not parking cars, so there is one thing that I don't park cars anymore, fortunately. But when I'm not parking... Well, when you're not helping park cars. Yeah. When you're not working on the business, what, what do you do for fun? When I'm not working on the business, the truth is I'm pretty much around the clock. You can ask uh, anyone on our team this as well from all of our early night phone calls, early morning phone calls too. There's, I love what I do. I'm very fortunate building this business, being in the parking industry, it excites me every single day. And so I do this almost around the clock. But there is one thing that I've committed to my board members, my team members, my partners that I will do that is the one ounce that can take me away temporarily from thinking of a business, which is playing soccer. And so you can see behind me, I got uh, a Manchester United sign, a big Manchester United soccer fan. I also have... Uh, scarf from my college soccer team. I'm fortunate I still play on Sunday mornings with uh, a lot of alumni that I went to college with and played with for years. And so as the one thing, it's a couple hours for me. And so soccer is such a big part of my life and allows me to take that quick moment away from work that by the time I get back to it, it's even more exciting than the moment I left. And so those couple hours, once or twice a week, that really make a big difference for me. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. All right. Last question. What are you most proud of? It's a easy answer to always say most proud of building a team. But honestly, that is probably what I'm most proud of. Like success to me at this business is building the right organization and making as much of an impact in this industry as possible um, with what we're doing where we truly want to create something special in the team that we have built around us and bring people into a parking technology company, which may not be the sexiest thing in the world, 
And there are many companies out there doing tremendous things in parking and outside of the industry as well. But bringing a group of individuals together and building an organization, especially remote around the country with the culture we have, is something that as a group, it's every morning we have a stand up as a team. We all jump on, we talk for a few minutes, we share what we're doing, working on. And those special bonds allow for us to have such empathy in the parts of the business that we're not working on and to just continue growing. So I am proud of the team we've built and also not just internally, but externally too. The partners we have, the investors and board members are exceptional and they make us better. We, they allow us to do for parking what we know we can do. And so that is something that we continue to be proud of and why we're so mindful about who we bring into the organization and who has any ownership, because of course that is such a crucial part about building a business. Yeah. All right. Awesome. That's another great answer. Okay. So we're going to wrap this segment up and I'll wrap it up by saying thank you for your time. Now we've got a very special segment too where we're going to introduce somebody who's very well known to you and vice versa. And we're going to take folks through what in our normal segment too, which is something else that's harder than it looks. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with segment two. Thank you, Brian. Welcome back to segment two. So today we've got a special treat. As you know, what we try and do with segment two is to give the parking professionals a little perspective. We like to bring on a guest that is also doing something that's harder than it looks. But what's special about the guest today, Dan Glass, you might recognize that Dan and Ethan have the same name. I've got Daniel Glass here with me, and he, he is one of the co-owners of... Dan, you'll have to tell me the name of the, of the company because it sounds like it changes often. The Resource Group Midwest. Okay, the Resource Group Midwest. And, and so it's a father-son duo, but what's so important or what's so much fun is we're going to ask Dan to tell the story because the business started in 1965 with his father selling pencils. And I don't know about you, but selling pencils in 1965 was probably pretty hard. And so, Dan, first, welcome to Harder Than It Looks. Welcome to the podcast with your son, which I would, I'm so thrilled to bring you both to the show. And go ahead and tell us a little bit about the company and then tell us the history of how your father started, started the company. That's fair. So the Resource Group Midwest... Uh, is a regional sales and marketing agency located just outside of Chicago. We have a total of 18 people. We do a full array of services for manufacturers and business products, education, and model industries. Uh, and those services range from creative to content management to portal management to super lots, everything that the reseller needs to merchandise, market, and sell manufacturers' products. We are part of a larger organization called the Research Group National, which has four regions. As you can imagine, we're Midwest, we're East, West, Southwest, and, and so forth. Yeah, the Midwest. 
and living stress. <laughs> so the company was founded in 1965 by Adam Glass, my father. My father had a lot of a lot of hooks. He actually began a company the same year I was born. I will tell you, I probably wouldn't have that kind of guts. The only other person I've seen in my family that had that kind of guts is Ethan. Huh. But Ethan didn't have what my father had, which was a wife and two kids that absolutely needed some breadwinning to take place, to feed and, and clothe and house and everything else. My father actually got into the business products business from a one ad in the, Sun, in the Sunday Tribune. His true dream was to be a landscaper. And okay. And I think he, he enjoyed being a landscaper and he was doing that work. And he always shared with me a story that one day a gentleman came out of the house and told him he had to let him go. And my father asked him why. And he said, we don't have enough for both the maid and the landscaper. My wife chose the maid over you. And he <laughs> said, maybe landscaping's not the best future for me because uh, the maid comes before me. Where's my growth potential? That's funny. Uh, he sold pencils for a few years and... I don't know if pencils, selling pencils in those days was harder than look because in those days everyone used pencils. I think selling right. pencils today is a lot harder than looks because I actually sell pencils. It's, it's a little bit of a push. Yeah. I would imagine, so it, if I could just pause you just for a second, I, I guess I'm thinking about him going door to door or from school to school and the schools probably had choices though, didn't they? And I, if they bought their pencils from him, they weren't going to buy them from the competitors or vice versa. It had to be competition for pencils at that point. Yes. So like many industries, the business products channel has consolidated dramatically over the last, well, almost 60 years. Yeah. Uh, it used to be an industry of small stations, a lot of neighborhood stationers, individual proprietors, and you had a lot of regional manufacturers. And of course, the service offering in the channel was much narrower. And yeah. There was a lot of guardrails because in those days, there was a big difference between some of the sold educational supplies, office supplies, office furniture. They were all separate channels. Today, they're all merged into one. I wouldn't call it a truly an omni-channel because we actually have omni-channels that we service, but they've all morphed into one big channel where all those channels just became categories. Yeah. Larger channel. Yeah. But okay. he became an independent sales uh, rep. That's what they called them back then, sales reps. I don't like the word sales reps. I used to be agent, but it's synonymous. He became an advanced sales rep because actually he went in one day to, for a meeting with his boss and his boss told him that he was going to be like, go. And the father was very quick on his feet. Still as quick on his feet. And if you ask him, yeah, not quite as quick. And uh, blessed to have him to not be quite as quick to tell you the truth. 
But his boss told me he's going to fire him because they were going to go uh, a different direction and not have direct salespeople. They wanted to eliminate the cost. And they're going to go with this brand new concept at the town called the Independent Manufacturers Representative. And my father, of course, looked at him and said, what's funny, because I was going to tell you today I'm quitting. And of course, the sales manager got all upset. What do you mean they're quitting us? What's the thing? You know, just walk in and call. And he goes, yeah, I just want to let you know. My wife uh, and I were talking about it. I had to send him a start on my own independent manufacturing rep. <laughs> so that was the impetus for what was then called Midwest Representatives. Okay. It's the name we went with pretty much uh, until just after the year 2000. Okay, so... He quits and becomes an independent distributor in the same moment, which you're right, is brilliant. It took, I, you had to tell me the story a couple of times before I got the true humor. So he wasn't going to get fired. He just created a company and then became, he actually then repped pencils for that company. Did he not? Yes, he did. It was actually the Eagle Pencil Company. Okay. And every one of us grew up by the show and tell and grammar school about a manufacturer pencil and if anybody who's listening to this podcast wants to understand the difference in the binding elements the charcoal or the wood species used for pencils yeah uh, you could call pretty much anyone in my family okay all right oh, I, I might actually want to see that someday i'm interested in how they make how, how do they get that lead in there it's crazy all right so he starts out with pencils but of course it's going to be hard to feed a family with independently repping pencils, how did the business progress? And then how did you and your brother, tell me about the point at which you and your brother got involved and then ultimately took over the business for your father? Sure. So the nice thing about being an independent agency is that you can represent different manufacturers. So you can expand your portfolio of goods and leverage and create synergies with your relationships. Yep. That was true 60 years ago. It's absolutely true today, maybe more true today. So he, of course, picked up other lines of product. Uh, it's interesting, almost every line back then, and I remember the names because I grew up with them. Yeah. Uh, they've all been consolidated into other companies that went out of business many years ago. But he picked up other lines, both furniture and supplies. He actually had a partner for quite a few years until he discovered that his partner liked to golf and they don't like to work that much. You know, he didn't have a partner after that. Nothing against the golfing, but sometimes yeah, you gotta, actually make the sales call too. Yeah, you, uh, you're going to have to sell something before you can play golf. I, I, I know a little bit about delayed gratification for sure. But we actually have framed the first order he wrote, which it, ironically wasn't for pencils, it was for a two by three cork board from a company called Weber Castello, which was consolidated in my business maybe two, three decades ago for a company called Consolidated uh, Business Products, uh, which was a Chicago dealer that also got rolled up many decades ago. So I really have a piece of paper hanging on the wall with names that no one could ever recognize. Yeah. Surprisingly, right. the cost for a two by three cork board is not that much different today. Is that right? Yes. Huh. Yeah. It is a little different, but it's not that much different. All right. So I know this will be a little bit unusual for our podcast listeners, but I know I'm going to lose Ethan in about five minutes. So if I could, Ethan, tell me 
some of your first memories of your grandfather and then your father selling pencils and I'm, I'm sure other things, corkboard and, and all of that. What, what do you remember first about the business? First memories of the business. So I was fortunate that they brought me in to listen to the meetings they were in and just in the hallways and at the old office they had, play with the elevator and go up and down and some of what they had in the stationery. But the first memory of them all working together was at the old office building off Milwaukee Avenue in uh, Chicago. And uh, there was a, my grandmother had this sculpture there and the frog statue that might still be there. But that's probably my first memory of their offices. And I must've been what, five or six, is that correct? And you were about six years old when we moved away from that office. All right, so you have memories of the frog statue and going up and down in the elevator. That sounds appropriate for a six-year-old, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that, then that your point, dad put you to work, probably. Yeah, it was a quick crash course from doing that to then selling them open polypropylene fabrics for them. But that was not so a little bit yeah. later. Yeah. So you were 12 when you were selling the, the fabrics at the conferences? Is that right? Some Something 12, 15. But before okay. then, yeah, they were up so many different companies. And throughout the time period, they've companies have come and gone in terms of chairs and tables and desks, et cetera. So there's been a lot that my brother also got started pretty young there. But... I think my larger passion at their business was probably on the Incomar side, which is their digital marketing branch. Yeah, I was actually going to raise that. I've heard that you've got pictures that you took how many, how long ago? 15 years ago that are still in the catalog? Yeah. We have videos still that are on Amazon of the toilets that we were doing at one point, which was a whole nightmare is... My father can talk about just trying to get the reflection off of the, the toilets for the lights that were being shot. So, yeah, that was a, a fun experience. And same with selling office snacks. Turns out that material is highly reflective in its nature. Yeah. Trying to. So, again, harder than it looks to take a picture of an office snack. All right. So now your father gets the business rolling. He's you're you obviously grew up in the business and then you come of age. He decides it's time to hand it off. If your father's 90 and he handed it off in what, 2004, is that what, was that the transition yeah. period? So I'm one of five. Okay. Okay. And we all grew up working. Okay. Okay. It's, uh, my father was very much about getting up early and giving you a full list. He was also, he was also intuitively blessed in that he could ask you to do a hundred things, leave for four or five hours, and then he could walk in the room and only ask you about the one of the hundred things you had done. <laughs> he was good at that. He was good at that. I'm not as good at that. I like yeah. the thing I'm okay at. If I'd yeah. be like, you know, I'd be like a hobbyist uh, versus a painting master companion. Yeah. Finished work. Yeah. Uh, so uh, all of my siblings and I grew up cleaning the office. And back in those days, cleaning the office really well, going on the weekends and emptying all the ashtrays. Oh, those yeah. Were, those were in the days when people would pile up their ashtrays with the butts. It's an amazing place to hang down. <laughs> but for the majority of that time, 
being an independent sales representative was about making a route. It was about counting inventory on a shelf. It was about trying to help the dealer manage their buy. It wasn't about helping the dealer manage their sell. Okay. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, the world moves on and those types of activities don't even exist anymore. Okay. And this is all you know, pre-computers, pre-cellphones, yeah. right. pre-fax machines. It's, it was a different universe. Yeah. You were uh, mailing orders in? Yes. We used to, uh, when I first started the job, part of the job requirements was to have a stack of envelopes with stamps on them already. So you take your envelope, your orders, put them in the envelope and mail them right away. Yeah. And leave the office and go mail them. And rolls of quarters in glove box for pay phones. Like everyone yeah. knew that. You always had rolls of quarters. You always had stacks of envelopes with stamps on them. Yeah. They had it all changed. Yeah, for sure. But uh, so we all grew up with that. Of course, we we're all very fortunate. We got to go to college and get educated. Yep. I will tell you that my siblings chose more interesting areas than I did. I did the finance and accounting track because the number one lesson going up was if I don't pay for you to go to school, you better be able to get a job. Yes. But I was one of the oldest. I broke them in so that the other ones could do things like journalism, stuff like that. Yeah. Didn't come to work here out of school. Well, it was sort of a requirement you'll get beat up by someone else for a while first. Sure. Yeah. Pro tip for sure. Discovered though, and it was worthwhile. I discovered that I didn't like doing corporate finance and accounting because there was not a lot of personal interaction. It was basically, you know, spreadsheet on a computer and that was it. Yeah. Crunching um, numbers. And from my vantage point, of course, I've been doing this my entire adult life. I think it's more fun to be out talking to people, interacting with people. So sales is great for me. Yes. That's the core, core thing you're, you you got to do. Yeah. Uh, it has become more challenging because uh, as the world's progressed, everything's become more complicated. Every demand's become there's, there's been an increase in demands across the board for everything from, uh, you know, managing digital content to uh, creating content to yep. helping people optimize the search parameters for the products. And the list goes on and on. And we got, when we talk to the manufacturers now, we you know, have too many pages in the PowerPoint talking about all the different specialized resources that we develop in order to help people sell their products through these different distribution channels. Yeah. So the, the it's not getting easier, it's getting more complicated, right? Uh, it's getting more complicated in the day and age when people are losing a base understanding of what the transaction looks like hmm. and what goes into getting it done. Yeah. Okay. So if you had to encapsulate the hardest part of your job today, what would it be? I would, I'd like to be a little bit of a smart aleck and say, you know, my two brothers are partners with me. But the truth is that's actually the most fun part of the part. Yeah. It runs the smoothest. So I can't yeah. say that. I'd like to. 
Yeah. I met Stephen. He's a character. I did not meet your third brother that's involved in the business, but Steve seems like a fun guy to be around. He's the youngest. There were no guardrails on growing up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I would say the hardest thing today in our business, probably the hardest thing today in um, almost all the different companies I interface with and I'm all but I talk to friends what they have to deal with, and that is people are getting flooded with so much information that it's hard for them to get to doing the things they want to do because yeah. they're flooded with a lot of noise and doing things that they have to or feel they have to, even though a lot of them do not necessarily advance where they want to be. Okay. Have you got a story on that front? Make that real without revealing any trade secrets. I I could ask you for a story. I can ask anyone for a story. How yeah. many times do you have to send when you send the same email? Yeah, fair enough. Because everyone's getting hundreds of messages coming in every single day. And once the message falls below the soul, for some people it becomes invisible. <laughs> How many people, if you walk up and you look at their inbox, it's 500, 800, 1,000. It might as well be 10 million. Like you can't do it once it's past a certain number. It just becomes just one big gray zone. Yeah. And that's where the relationships and yeah. being real about it and picking up the phone and interacting with people on a personal level actually ends up still paying off. You know, people are... Uh, People respond to people. Yeah. When all right. things are when all things are equal, uh, price, product, uh, delivery, people buy from what they like. And even when all things are equal, people still do business with who they like. No question. You know, so I don't know if that answered your question, but that's yeah. probably the that's probably the hardest thing today for all of us. It's not just in my business, all of us in this society. It's just the sheer amount of um, noise coming at us that detracts yep. us from focusing on what we want to do. Yep. No question. So the previous podcast, I think I may have shared with you offline that we had a gentleman who'd won three Emmys and he, he has a marketing agency and his comment was, you have got to get somebody's attention and relationships matter and trust between businesses matter. And I couldn't agree more. I, I've got a 30 year sales career. At the end of the day, all I've ever done is sales and marketing. And my experience has been that if you have a relationship with that person, it goes a long way. And there are a few people that will trade you for a couple of pennies, but not very many. There's there those bonds endure for sure. Yeah. At the end of the day, what people want is to, we have to help the people that we interact with get their goals accomplished. Yeah. Our goal is getting their goals accomplished. So that's what we have to focus on. And that's true for the manufacturers that we work with and for the resellers that we interface with the service. So it's important to a lot of times pick up the phone and actually communicate with someone, talk to them, yeah. to understand their goals if you want to try to help them accomplish them. Yep. Yep. That's good. All right. We could go on forever and ever, but I'll give you the I'll give you the parting word. You can tell a story about Ethan if you want. You can tell a parting word. You can say it, tell a story about your dad or about your brothers. This is a, it's an open mic for you to share with us a story or two from the glass 
treasure book, if you will. Okay. I was thrilled when Ethan uh, was in high school and he had an interest in what they had in that high school. They called it broadcasting class and broadcasting department. It wasn't just broadcasting. It was actual uh, content development, videography, photography, all the other things that go along with it. Yep. They just lumped them all in the same arena. And he took a liking to both photography and video development. Now, I was thrilled because as an independent sales agency, I need the creation of <laughs> images and videos. And I actually, with my brothers quite a few years ago, started a separate creative agency alongside our sales agency just to do that because it's a challenge for a lot of people to transition yeah. to real digital marketing today. And not just in terms of managing the data that I'll about, but actually the assets that you need to do the job well. Yeah. Not to say that I looked at my high school age son and said, oh, cheap free labor. Although the truth is I did a little bit look at my high school son and said, this is great. I could give him work, pay less, and demand more. That's yeah. a win from that's what I figured that was a win for all of us. It is a win for all of you. The, the, the CEO's job is to put the right person in the right chair at the right time. You were doing nothing more than being a great CEO. Yeah. In my universe, being one of the one of the owners here means I empty the garbage. I unload the truck. Yeah. I, I sweep up the back room and I also put on my sports jacket and make dinner with the big clients. It's the whole yeah. Range. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> so we did put Ethan to work part time, pretty much throughout all of high school, doing content development. Then he got, not that this is probably going to his head, but I say, but he actually got to be technically creative, pretty technically creative, which was good. And we got this job from a manufacturer of faucets and toilets. And it was a pretty big job at the time for us for that agency. It's as large of a job in our viewpoint now. But when we start up a business, every job's a big job. Every, yep. Everyone yep. matters and counts. Yep. And we had a full time person on board that was doing the videos and the uh, and the photography at the time. And this uh, and he was a great guy. But he was having a really hard time doing the 360 videos in the toilets because it's porcelain and it reflects everything around it. Yeah, glare. Yeah. You weren't going to deliver a video that's going to be on every commercial site for people that sell those products where every item in the room is reflected off the. Yeah. I mean, he went, he went as far as they were hanging like draperies around the entire our entire showroom to try to block out all the light but then when you put the light on it all you got was bright spots it was a problem uh, it was to the point it sounds where you, like taking pictures of a toilet is harder than it looks taking pictures of a toilet is not so easy <laughs> and ethan of course he was in high school and this other uh, gentleman basically throwing the towel say and Ethan did practice video, but he didn't, he didn't disguise the light. He just, he didn't turn on any lights, he just used the ambient light in the room. 
And surprisingly, the lack of doing anything actually works better than doing all the other things that were being done. The video yeah. turned out perfect. It took almost no time to run through. It must have been like 60 of them, all with yeah. different features and benefits. We had a carousel, so they're running. But it turned out that doing nothing worked, whereas doing every everything you try to do did not work. There you go. All right. I think we'll leave it there if we can, because that's my, a good that's a good story for you to use. On that's this. that's a great story because the 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 punchline is sometimes doing nothing is better than doing everything, especially when you're taking photos of toilets. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I didn't even tell you about the faucets. Right, Chrome has its own issues. Chrome has its own issues. That that's funny. You know what? We'll make that another segment sometime. Chrome having having its other issues. Right. Thanks for having me. I hope yeah. I uh, gave you something good to work with. Yeah, for sure. Right. Okay, that's a wrap on this episode of Harder Than It Looks: Parking Uncovered, presented by Parker Technology. Please leave us a review if you liked what you heard. Make sure you tune in next month as we continue to uncover tips, tricks, and best practices to manage what we all know is harder than it looks, parking a car. Bye for now.